0: welcome back to Well That's Interesting, the I-already-hate-going-outside-why-did-you-have-to-bring-this-up edition. Today is episode 166, Gardner is the only human to survive black leg infection, and let's talk about these mysterious trees. My friends. Oh, I am so sorry about this. (laughs) Well, maybe just a little. Uh, If you're a longtime member of the flock, you have probably lost track of the number of stories we've covered that include parasites, tapeworms, larvae, eggs, some itty bitty creature wreaking havoc in a host that typically shouldn't be their host. They end up there thanks to a series of coincidences and events lining up just right. As you may know, I love a good whoopsie-daisy, and when nature says my bad, it is pretty devastating. This leads us to the first half of the show, and it might be one of the most unbelievable stories I've ever featured. Maybe episode 125, Old Sushi Leads to Nine Months of Hell, might be a close second. If you haven't had a listen to that, I encourage you to pause this, give it a go, and then come on right back. Feel free to compare and contrast, and then let me know in the comments section uh, over at Instagram or Twitter or whatever, uh, which situation you think is worse. My friends, I'm going to tell the tale of an ordinary woman facing the worst odds. For you see, her innocent hobby of gardening led to an infection that previously no other human being had survived. That's right, a 100% fatality rate This is one unfathomable fact, fun fact, I should say, of many. Uh, For example, this particular bacteria, that's the star of the show and one of which I will be so honored to introduce you to. It doesn't even target humans. You can count on one hand the number of people that have actually become infected. And I should say accidentally become infected. (laughs) But like the title suggests, however, she makes it out alive and is now known as the sole survivor of such an experience. But to get there, my God, it is a journey and we're gonna get into all of it. Then, after the break, something a little lighter, Um, but right now is a total mystery. We're gonna talk about two types of trees that are leaving researchers stumped. I'm sorry about that too, Um, yeah. Their growth patterns are unlike anything seen in other trees, making them truly stand out among the crowd. For real. I'm going to show you some photos and you're going to be like, Oh yeah, I I see what you mean. Hmm. (laughs) Scientists have some theories as to why they take the shape they do. And we're going to get into those too. In the meantime, I'm Jill Chacha. And if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my budding business goose. To begin, we're gonna need to fire up the old time machine, but if you forgot to charge it overnight, don't worry. We're not going too far. Just dial it back a wee bit to 2022. And we just so happen to have landed at the Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney, Australia. Here's a fun fact about the place. As noted on their website, each year, this hospital cares for more than 58,000 patients in the emergency department alone. This place has seen some shit like most hospitals. But the Prince of Wales is about to make history. One of those nearly 60,000 patients just entered the ER and is practically clinging to life. The 48 year old woman was experiencing nausea and vomiting for three days. But when the pain in her lower right abdomen became excruciating, that's when she decided to head over to Prince of Wales. My friends, I am not exaggerating when I say if she had waited any longer, this would be a very different and short story. A basic blood test was drawn and the results looked grim. Both kidneys and her liver were failing and she had a buildup of lactic acid, a substance produced by muscles during high intensity exercise and an indicator of septic shock, which according to clevelandclinic.org occurs when your immune system has an extreme reaction to an infection my investigative business goose, please put a pin in these two things. Something was affecting her muscles and there seems to be an infection. And because the human body just has to do this right now, she was also experiencing diarrhea, of course. So please, unfortunately, put a pin in that too. The patient was pumped with antibiotics to keep her hanging on until the exact cause could be identified and it was working. She was still alive, but the pain, the pain, my friends, was spreading throughout her body. It's been five hours since she was admitted at this point, and doctors ordered a CT scan stat. This revealed a huge piece of the literal shitty puzzle. They had found the source of the infection. Quote, it was clear that her large intestine was inflamed, as was the cecum, an area where the small intestine meets the large intestine. So she was admitted to intensive care," end quote, from Emily Cook of LiveScience.com. So my friends, our patient was gurneyed into intensive care and the focus now to save this woman's life was to identify what in the holy hell could be breaking down her body so quickly. Stepping up to the goddamn plate was Dr. Rhea Ko, lead author of the medical article uh, that we're covering right now and an infectious diseases, advanced trainee. Yes, Dr. Ko rolled up her advanced trainee sleeves and was like, I got this. According to Natasha May of the Guardian, Dr. Ko went on to perform a number of blood culture tests, but nothing was coming up as positive. It wasn't until two days later, two days of tests when we finally had an answer and the results were just as shocking. Quote, "Dr. Ko discovered a bacterium in the patient's blood that she had never heard of before. Clostridium chauvolii was the underlying cause of the infection." And quote. My experienced business goose. If you, like Dr. Ko, never heard of Clostridium, well, that's not surprising. Honestly, mostly sheep and cattle farmers are familiar with this bacteria. So, let's get acquainted with our newest frenemy, shall we? Okay. After delving into the history of Clostridium, Dr. Coe told The Guardian it was well-known in the veterinary world as the leading cause of a terrible disease called Black Lake, mostly appearing in our bovine friends and our sheep friends. Spores enter the animal's bloodstream via cuts and then make a beeline to muscle tissue. Why, why in the holy hell You may be asking why muscle... muscles exactly? Great questions. I've got you. This bacteria, like most, thrive in environments with little to no oxygen. When, say, your cow is grazing through fields or your sheep are hopping along, oxygen levels in their muscles decrease, and this allows the spores to germinate. As they grow, they produce toxins that destroy blood and muscle cells and produce enzymes that break down DNA. Ooh. Now, what I said was actually the condensed version of its effects and that was actually the G-rated version. But if you're not here for the G-rated version, okay, turn up the volume. I'm about to dive right the fuck in. Uh, if you don't want to hear any in-depth graphic detail, uh, you may want to hit the forward button 30 or 40 seconds or so, it's gonna, it's gonna get there, if you know what I mean. Okay. For my hardcore business goose, what is blackleg? Okay, I've got you here too. Dr. Ko went on to tell The Guardian, quote, When infected soil enters the bloodstream through cuts, it quickly causes myonecrosis, or death of leg muscles. Sheep and cattle can't complain or communicate that they have this pain, so we read in the literature that the most common presenting symptom of black leg is death because farmers find this animal dead when they find out they have blackleg Yes, my friends, you heard Dr. Co write, the most common presenting symptom of blackleg is death. That's how quickly this thing targets its host. But if you're a farmer who just so happens to catch sight of a lame cow, in time there are other signs of blackleg too. Associate Professor, David Beggs, a cattle veterinary specialist at the University of Melbourne, also spoke with The Guardian and said, quote, What happens is typically the young calves look a bit lame. And when you feel the leg, it feels like there's bubble wrap in there because the bacteria eat away at the flesh and cause gas to be produced. And the dead tissue that's been macerated by the bacteria gets into the bloodstream and causes blood poisoning. So you end up firstly with gangrene, which is just the tissue dying and the gas getting in there. And then secondly, with blood poisoning. Same in people, end quote. (sighs) Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that, God. So, end scene. My queasy business geese who just skipped forward a few seconds, welcome back. Uh, We just revealed the most common presenting symptom of black leg (laughs) is death, but uh, clostridium can also be identified by what sounds like symptoms of botulism and tetanus. And that's because, surprise everyone, uh, this strain of bacteria is a cousin of those. So, if this sounds like a formidable opponent, you are more right than you think. Now, we said the usual hosts and victims of Clostridium are cows and sheep, and 99.99% of the time that is the case. My friends, in all of recorded medical history, only two other human beings have been diagnosed with clostridium. One patient in the United States, and the other in Japan. According to Emily Cook over at LiveScience.com, one of them had a weakened immune system and the other had a serious soft tissue infection called gas gangrene that uh, cannot be effectively treated. And if you recall, at the top of the show, neither of these patients survived our 48-year-old patient from Australia, had become the third person ever to become infected, and the odds were very much not in her favor. Dr. Ko, infectious diseases advanced trainee, would have to act fast. She and the team kept our patient on antibiotics, and knowing that this bacteria thrives in near-zero oxygen environments, they prescribed something out of the box. She was placed in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, which pumped nothing but pure O2. She was surrounded by and inhaled the good stuff. (laughs) Her muscles were inundated with oxygen to kill that goddamn bacteria and prevent additional tissue death. My friends, in a week, one week, her kidney and liver, her kidneys, plural, and liver reversed course, and her lactic acid levels fell. She was discharged from the hospital Round of applause. Okay. I, I know what you're thinking. I know <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I can see your face. I know you're thinking, wait, that can't be it. This is, well, that's interesting, right? I'm, th- I'm, I'm listening to the right podcast. Yes. Yes, my savvy business goose, you are absolutely right. That is not all. Just four short days later, the same pain in her lower right ab- abdominal area returned, but bigger and better than ever. Remember when we said her large intestine showed clear signs of inflammation back in that first CT scan? Well, a new CT scan showed (sighs) a large section of her large intestine had turned out. uh, I can't even read the sentence because it just hurts. Okay. I'm going to try that again. A new CT scan showed a section of her large intestine had turned into Swiss cheese. Since the beginning of her medical care, there had been a substantial amount of tissue death. A condition known as necrotizing entroclo clo, clo- necrotizing entroclo clo, clo- <laughs> Necrotizing Entrocolitis. Uh, for all you medical buffs out there, you're welcome. I got it right, like on the 60th try. Okay, so my friends, antibiotics and the hyperbaric chamber were able to kill off the bacteria, but not before it went to town on her large intestine, eventually leading to holes. Yes, it's always with the holes. Quote, a pathologist was able to identify an area of bowel that was so thin it was like paper thin, and then eventually perforated, end quote, Co told The Guardian. Mm, my friends, I can't even imagine that pain. But thankfully, the team at Prince of Wales Hospital had a plan to deal with this, and it's not the prettiest thing. According to Life Science, doctors removed the right side of her large intestine and installed a stoma, which involves redirecting the large intestine through a hole in the abdomen so that feces can leave the body. My friends, for three months, our patient had to poop sideways into a collection bag waiting for her large intestine to regrow and strengthen. I am so happy, so fucking happy, to report that the stoma was eventually removed and she's alive. She's the only human being to survive a case of Clostridium. And that's thanks to the quick thinking of Dr. Ko, who has hopefully been promoted beyond trainee. Now, my baffled business goose, you're probably wondering how How in the holy hell did she get Clostridium to begin with? Well, hold on to your cheeks and gut parts. Our lovely patient had made a small life change. A life change so mundane, I bet nearly everyone listening has done it at least once. Move. Yes, our patient had found a new place to live and was settling in, finally unpacking boxes, probably with a glass of white Blanc. for Christ's sakes. And being a plant lover. She took one look at her plants and one look at the new yard she had and was like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna pour another glass of wine and garden. I'm gonna give my plants a new place to live as well. And there she was on her hands and knees, digging holes and planting her plants, barehanded. Now, plants weren't the only thing she took care of, but cats, very agitated, cats, who I can only assume were very opposed to the move because they were scratchy. Okay, let's be real, they were just total douchebags. <laughs> now, what I'm trying to say is that our patient had open cuts on her hands and arms and went raw dog in some dirt. That dirt, Dr. Coe's theory, was contaminated with spores, unbeknownst to our gardener. So my friends, a series of events aligned perfectly. A move, some dickhole cats. The choice to garden, barehanded, led to nearly dying. Nearly. After the break, harmless fucking trees, I promise. They are harmless, but still truly unique. One look and you'll see what I mean. Please join me for two incredible mysteries coming up next. So please, stay tuned.
1: Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility, filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. We're the All Creatures Podcast. Each week, Angie and I explore and share amazing details about the many animals we share our world with.
0: Plus, Chris and I are both PhD scientists and educators, so we do the deep dives in the scientific research and then come back and share what we learn in a fun and casual way. We also speak with other scientists, animal experts, activists, and many other conservation enthusiasts from all over the planet.
1: So you can find the All Creatures Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, I'm going to ask you to fire up the old tube of you for the next few minutes. In the search bar, if you would be so kind, please type in Shibelas Kologryphina. And if you're completely lost on the spelling, don't worry, I've got you. Shivalas, of course, is spelled nothing like it sounds. This is K-R-Z-Y-W-Y, of course. Next word, LAS, L-A-S, hit that space bar one more time, Colo K-O-L-O, and finally the next word, Gryfina, G-R-Y-F-I-N-A. Excellent. Now, a video from the account My, uh, Magda Chemini should pop up. Uh, It's a mere one minute and 13 second long video, Uh, so please hit that play button if you will. Now, as you can see, we're having a pleasant walk along a path in a seemingly average looking park. We're surrounded by greenery and pine trees, blah, blah, blah. This could be anywhere. We're going to skip to the good part. Please, fast forward to the 52nd mark. When our adventurer comes across a post with a sign in Polish stating they have just entered Szywilas, or the crooked forest. The camera pans to the left, as you can see, and my friends, you could also see why that forest got its name. If you audibly said, what the fuck, you are absolutely right. Welcome to our first group of mysterious trees. Now. For my business geese who are just oh so busy right now solving humanitarian crises or whatever and you can't watch along with us, fine. Fear not. I'll have some screenshots on our social media stuffs for you to check out later. Uh, But for now, imagine, please imagine, a pine tree. Whose trunk is maybe 20 inches or so in diameter. But instead of it being completely vertical, like you'd expect, the tree... (laughs) It looks like, to me, it looks like the capital letter J. Yeah, its base runs a few feet horizontally along the ground, and then the trunk suddenly swerves up and out, and it's like this for a few more feet, and then, inexplicably, the trunk curves back in, growing vertically like an average tree. My friends, we're standing among, among 400 pines, and about 80 of them, in one small section of Shivelas, have taken this shape. This magical place, by the way, is in Grefino, Poland, a wee, wee tiny town of about 21,000 people. And these 80 trees or so have made it infamous. So, at this point, you may be asking, okay, it is weird, uh, how exactly? I mean, why are these trees and only these trees this way? great questions. Let's dive into one of many theories. The first being this forest and town's location. Okay, everyone please picture Germany. Thank you. Now to its right is Poland. Now please point to the border that they share and move your finger north. A little higher. Perfecto. That is Gryfino. Now, in a little thing called World War II, Gryfino was invaded and decimated. Civilians who had the chance fled, abandoning their homes and taking with them the origins of this park. It's not known who planted these trees, but thanks to their rings, we know that they began their lives sometime in the 1930s, and this curvature began five to seven years into the saplings' growth. This timeline, some theorists believe, coincides with the invasion. So, is it possible a Nazi tank ran over our fledgling pine trees, causing the uh, deformity, if you will? I mean, not only does the timeline work here, but it turns out nearly all of these tree trunks, all of the 80 trees, point north in one direction. Could that have been where the tank was heading? Well. This is an okay theory. The problem lies with the rest of the surrounding forests. That's the same age, but has grown in the classic vertical fashion. The theory literally stops short, as the tank would have had to completely disappear or hovered the rest of its way. Uh, Speaking of hovered, people just can't not throw aliens into the mix. Uh, Yes, there are some folks who believe the trees were crushed by an alien spacecraft, uh, but as James Felton of IFL Science put it, if these trees were bent by a ship, it would have to belong to, quote, an alien civilization that has mastered interstellar travel, but hasn't quite got the hang of parking. End quote. <laughs> That's a pretty good fucking zinger right there. But, <clears throat> but I gotta say, as a New Yorker, who has seen many a people struggle with parallel parking, I could totally imagine this happening. <laughs> it's like, it can be hard. It's, uh, it's, uh. Anyway, let's move on to a more plausible theory, one based a little on history. It's possible these trees were, quote, intentionally modified to produce a naturally curved material for furniture or buildings. The process takes years to pay off, but has been documented going back hundreds of years. In England, early shipbuilders prized English oak for their, sorry, dilly-dilly-dilly, in England, early shipbuilders prized English oak for use as compass timber, or the curved pieces of a boat's hull. These pieces could be made of several straight pieces, fastened together, or in the case of smaller boats, wood steamed and bent into any shape. But timber that has naturally grown into a certain shape is much stronger. The oaks in England, the oaks in England's many hedges, were perfect for this. And by the end of the 17th century, many of them had been cut down for this use." End quote. From the website, thetriographer.com, and I'm losing my voice, (laughs) I apologize. So, were they meant to be harvested, but the war got in the way? That is very possible. In fact, human intervention is a pretty great theory, and it doesn't stop at furniture making. This warping could have been an anonymous person's art project. The goes on to explain tree shaping is an art form that has been around for millennia and can be readily seen in Japanese bonsai curation, tapestries and other practices around the world. More recently, an Australian couple has come up with the poop tree method with some remarkable results, end quote: "My friends." my god if you're wondering what in the holy hell poop tree is what that method is you have to brace yourself australia is back for the win oh god head on over to our social media stuffs and swipe through today's post i know exactly where you stopped it's on the photo of a tree whose trunk has been molded into that of a stick person It is a a literal stick person. It's a tree stick figure. I I can't describe it any other way because that is what it is. And this particular photo was taken at night for some inexplicable reason, which makes me so uncomfortable and makes me feel like if you didn't expect seeing this on your way home, I would shit my pants. It is so witchy. Ah, A fucking plus to these australian couple this this australian couple wow that's just amazing um okay this is a great theory Uh, yeah It, it shook me to my core it's a great theory and tree shaping though it's a little bit more on the complicated and intricate side so to counter this gary coleman not the one you're thinking of, but Gary Coleman, the Associate Professor of Plant Science and Landscape Architecture at the University of Maryland, Gary has a wonderfully simple explanation based on natural behavior. Yeah, you heard me, natural behavior. Quote, it looks to me like a classic gravity response, Coleman told Haven Kalati C- of the Washington Post. Whenever the stem is horizontal to gravity, the plant has a mechanism through which it can reorient itself. As you can see, the horizontal moment only occurs for a certain amount of time. It looks like it probably occurred when they were fairly young seedlings or maybe small trees, just a few feet tall. During my time in the U.S. Forest Service, I came across trees in a Rocky Mountain forest that were horizontal because of a small but strong storm. There would be one or two acres where every tree was on its side but still alive. After a few years, it's going to reorient itself. End quote. So, my wonky business goose, could some of these trees of Shivalas have been shaped by a number of terrible winters with heavy snowdrifts, and once tall enough, they reoriented themselves? It's a damn good possibility. Damn good, even though I know, I know you're leaving room in your heart for aliens with poor depth perception, but it's probably... The gravity thing. And speaking of orienting yourself or trees orienting themselves, now is the perfect time to introduce you to our final mystery. My friends, once you're over the shock of the poop tree method, swipe, swipe one more time on the social media stuffs for me. Yes, I'm back on there and boy howdy, we've got an entire species of tree to talk about. My friends, what you're seeing is another pine. Behold, the cook pine. They're long, they're lanky, and they lean, big time. And it turns out, this distinctive lean has an incredible pattern to it. Let's get into it. Now, these towering trees are actually native to a gorgeous place we've mentioned before, a remote island called New Caledonia, a wee 900 miles east of Australia. Please have a listen to In Betweeny 041, Lobster Diver Swallowed by Humpback Whale and Deep Sea Creature with 8 Mouths to learn more about the place. So many memories. Um, <laughs> this hardy pine, however, can totally thrive in any tropical, subtropical, and temperate region around the world, including Southern California. It was here, Matt Ritter of California Polytech State University in San Luis Obispo. He was working on his book, listing all the urban trees of California. And when he got to the Cook Pine, he had a Eureka moment. He realized that the pines here always leaned South. Curious and obsessed, he called a colleague in Australia to see if these trees leaned in the same direction down there. Well, it turns out they do lean, but this time the pines leaned North my friends, Ritter had a hankering that the Cook Pine, no matter where it is in the world, leans towards the equa- equator. He just had to prove it. Thus began his quest of looking at a hell of a lot of trees. <laughs> My friends, Ritter found some tree nerd colleagues, and together they studied 256 Cook Pines scattered across five continents. So what did they find? Drum roll, please. Thank you. After collecting tree data from 18 locations between latitudes of 7 and 35 degrees north and 12 and 42 degrees south, the team found that the trees tilt by 8.05 degrees on average, with trees in the northern hemisphere leaning south and those in the southern hemisphere leaning north. He was fucking right. And if a lean of 8.05 degrees sounds like a lot, it fucking is. That happens to be an angle double that of the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Pizza. Did I say pizza? I'm hungry. <laughs> Son of a bitch. It's double the tilt of the Leaning Tower of Pizza. But. That is not all, of course. Quote, the trees also slant more the further they are from the equator in both hemispheres. It's a shockingly distinct pattern. One tree in South Australia slants at 40 degrees. End quote, Ritter told New Scientist. So my curvy business goose, you may be wondering once more, why? Why to all of this? Well, (laughs) does it just wanna look cool? Well, that's a great question. Probably. I mean, we don't know exactly. Ritter told New Scientists, quote, we could just be dealing with an artifact of its genetics that we are just seeing now that we have spread it all around the world. Alternatively, it could be an adaptation to catch more sunlight at higher altitudes, end quote. So, if it is to catch more light, this makes sense. A number of plants do the same. However, Stephen Warren of the US Forest, US Forest Service in Utah told the new scientist as well, quote, this is the first time I've heard of a tree doing this, End quote. So, my friends, as we speak, Ritter and the lovely tree nerds are still on the case as they believe trees are responding to their global environment in a way not yet fully understood. Hmm, personally, As long as they don't end up looking like pook trees, I am okay with whatever the fuck they decide to do. (laughs) Thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends about the gardener, the only human being to survive a disease. That is horrible and um, an achievement. Anyway, uh, tell them about the cook tree and the the trees in Poland. Aliens, I know what you're thinking. That's fine. And that's fun. We, we really need to believe in something bigger than ourselves. Like aliens that don't know how to drive, which is amazing. Anyway, big old unsteady thanks to the folks over at Airwave Media, <laughs> the podcast network to which WTI belongs, if you love this show, you love the other podcasts in this family, and please, stay interesting.